forward to spending the next 14 minutes and 17 seconds with you. I want to first of all thank all of you for your tremendous support of the Zohar 15 program. This is week number seven, I believe, and we've seen four, five, 5,200 people have come in and listened to the show. So don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, you can always feel free to reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Again, that is Dave at RestoringGrace.com, and I'm always excited to hear from you. There's ministry opportunities available. Have Restoring Grace come out to your church, your Bible study, uh, seminars, retreats. We do all that. So uh, keep me in mind, and later on I'll play a brief commercial to remind you about it. Tonight we're going to be talking from the Zohar, Volume 17, Section Be'alutka, now Chapter 12, and we're going to try and get, it's a joke, I know, we're going to try and get to verses 58, 59, 60, 61, and 62. This will be our largest crack at reading verses out of the Zohar since we started our 15-minute program. But I want to talk to you today about this, understanding the power and purpose of the Scriptures. Understanding the power and purpose of the Scriptures. You know, for many people, the Bible, me as a Christian calling it the Bible, or as a Jewish person, the Torah, or whatever Scriptures, for many people that look at their Scriptures, they look at them, as, uh, as static. They're a piece of history that was written a long time ago, and we're supposed to figure out some cool stories about it or learn something about it. Because, you know, for a lot of us today, if your ox falls in a ditch, you decide to go get it on Sabbath, that's a violation. That applies to a lot of us today. Well, it really doesn't. And so the idea that the Bible became static, and then later, uh, as Christianity progressed, it became more important that the Bible became a very literal uh, very literally tr- literal translated. They didn't have different venues and avenues. Well, we're going to listen to what the rabbis and sages have to say about scriptures, and we're going to start with verse 48, or 58, excuse me, with Rabbi Shimon saying this, <clears throat> Woe to the man, woe to the man who says that the Torah came to relate stories simply and plainly, as simpleton tales about Esau and Laban and the like. If it was so, even at the present day, we could produce a Torah from simplistic matters, and perhaps even nicer ones than those. If the Torah came to exemplify only worldly matters, even the rulers of the world have among them things that are superior. If so, let us follow them and produce from them a Torah in the same manner. It must be that all items in the Torah are superior of nature and have the utmost of secrets. The Bible has been objectified, it's been deified, it's been idolized. But I'm afraid that in so many people's lives that the scriptures have not been explored. Really looking into them to see the stories and how they interrelate and that could there possibly be something beyond just the story itself. It's interesting that Rabbi Shimon says, Woe to the man. Woe to the man who says that the Torah is just here to relate stories. It's not about simple matters, he says. If it was, we could make a nicer one. The rulers of the world, he goes on to talk about, they, they could write one. Hey, let's follow that. 
Well, let's let them write their own, and we'll go follow mine. Guess what? It's exactly what we've done. That's exactly what we've done in our faith today, in our modern Christianity, in our modern church religions. That's exactly what we've done. We've gone on to follow other people's interpretations, other people's writings, and other because they can write just as nice a one. Unless we could agree, unless we could all agree, that there's something superior about our scriptures. He says they're superior in nature and have utmost secrets. Did you know that there are secrets in your in your scriptures? That there are hidden pieces of revelations in your scriptures? Did you know that? I want to give you an example. I'm going to turn around and grab my Bible real quick. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you know that a lot of the composition of the Bible wasn't worried about how historically accurate it was? Let me give you an example. As we learn the story of Israel, we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 41, that Israel comes out of Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 22, that Israel goes into the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. We learn in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 2, they enter the wilderness. And in Exodus 24, reaching its zenith, in Exodus 24, 7, Moses teaches the people from on top of Mount Sinai. So what difference does that make? What's that all about? Where is the secret in that? Flash forward to the book of Matthew, introducing Jesus as Messiah. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus comes back from Egypt. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. He enters the waters. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus enters the wilderness for the temptation. In Matthew chapter 5, where do we find him? On the Sermon on the Mount. You see, whoever wrote this, Whoever wrote the book of Matthew wasn't worried about the events and the orders they came in. He was taking the significance of Israel's history out of Egypt into the water, from the water to the wilderness, from the wilderness to the teaching on the mount, and brought that into the structure to Jesus. Jesus comes out of Egypt. He enters into the waters. He goes into the wilderness. He teaches from the mount. There are so many stories with so much impact, and so many people just go you know, for the low-hanging fruit. They don't even pay attention. Verse number 59, come and behold, the world above and the world below are measured with one scale. Israel below corresponds to the lofty angels above. It is written about the angels who makes the winds his messengers in Psalms 104.4. When they go down, they don the vestments of this world. If they had not acquired the dress of this world, they would not be able to exist in this world, and the world would not be able to stand them. If it's this way for the angels... How much more is it for the Torah that created these messengers in all the worlds that exist due in it? Once it came down to this world, if it not dawned on some of these garments of the world, which are the stories and the simplistic tales, the world would not have been able to tolerate it. Take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back to finish up with verse 59. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support, encourage, and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Again, that's Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Or you can call 719-233-6265. 719-233-6265 for your next upcoming event. So Rabbi Shimon is saying that 
even the angels come down and they're dressed so that we can stand to see them, because if they were just in their original glory, we couldn't see it. How much more is it that these scriptures have come down and that they exist in this world? And they have a covering he's talking about, covered in these garments. The garments, he's saying, are the stories and simplistic tales. Have you ever thought? It's interesting, in verse 58, he brings up Esau and Laban. If we were like in a birdcage theater or a melodrama, we'd boo when we say those guys' names. Those aren't the guys you want to hear about. He says, yeah, they're just simpleton tales like Esau and Laban, but yet there's so much wrapped in the story of Esau, so much wrapped in the story of Laban. He goes on in verse number 60 and says, therefore the story of the Torah, or the scriptures, is the mantle, or the covering of the Torah. He who thinks the mantle is the actual essence of Torah and that there's nothing else here, listen to this, let him breathe his last, for he has no portion in the world to come. Therefore, David, the psalmist, wrote, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your Torah. Psalms 119.18. That is, look at what lies underneath the garment. Look what lies underneath it. I want you to think about that concept for a minute. When have you, or have you ever, read your scriptures and said to yourself, Man, there's got to be more here. something tremendous here. I want to look beyond it. How many of we have actually really prayed and said, Lord, show me what's between the lines. Show me what's also in that. Rabbi Shimon says here that to the guy who looks and only sees that story, let him breathe his last. Why? Why such a hard judgment about that? Why so harsh about it? Because there is so much depth and beauty and glory and victory and blessings in the scriptures and what we get. You know what? Most people, they go to church, it's like a boat cruise for them. They leave their home, they go get on the boat, the boat goes around the harbor for an hour and a half. Before they leave, they stop at the food place, they get a little food, they get off the boat, back on land. Back on land. They've eaten the fruit of the tree because they can reach it, all the low-hanging fruit, but they've never climbed the tree before. They've never stood back far enough away from the tree to get a good look at it to see what it's about. The scriptures, friends, are not just latent or static stories, but they're breathing with life, bringing with a connection for the light of the Creator. Verse number 61. Come and behold, there is a dress that is visible to everyone. The fools, when they see a person dressed beautifully, who appears to them distinguished by his clothing, does not observe any further. They judge him according to his distinguished apparel and consider the dress as the body of the man and the body of the person like his soul. You know, I had a good experience with this just a couple of days ago. I had to go to a, 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 a meeting up in the city of Denver. And so my boss, he's just wonderful about it. He always lets us, you know, borrow a car to go up there because I drive a 1990 Chevy Blazer with 200,000 miles on it. So I show up driving my 2011 Mitsubishi Endeavor with 26,000 miles on it. I'm wearing a suit and a tie, and I get out in the parking lot, and the guy walks up to me and says, Hello, counselor. Uh, let me show you where you need where you can park. That guy thought I was a lawyer. He has no idea. He has no idea that I'd kill you for a Klondike bar. He doesn't know that. He just looked at the dress and said, oh, this guy must be a Look at the car he's driving. Look at the way he's dressed. Oh, this guy must be a lawyer. And people are exactly like that, very much like that. You look at somebody who's dressed really nice, you say, oh, that guy must have money. He must have this. I didn't own the car I was driving. My boss owned the car I was driving. And we look at that same way. Verse number 62 says this, similar it is to the Torah. It has a body, which is composed of the commandments of Torah, which are called the body of Torah. And when I say the word Torah, you think of the word scriptures. This body is clothed with garments, which is the stories of this world. 
the ignorant that look only on the dress, which is the story of the Torah, and are not aware of anything more. They do not look at what lies beneath the dress. Those who know, know more do not look at the dress, but they look at the body of the dress. The wise, the sages, the servants of the loftiest king, those who stood on Mount Sinai, look only at the soul of the Torah, which is the essence of everything, the real Torah. In the time to come, they will, they will look at the soul, the soul of the Torah. When you look at the scriptures, when you're reading your Bible, do you ask God to help you see the soul, to see beneath the garments? Or are you perfectly okay where Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fill it full, and you say, oh, I know what that means. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit. Oh, I know what that means. When the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, I know what that means. When John the Revelator says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and is carried away, oh, I know what that means. When Daniel talks about a conversation between him and an angel, he says, where have you been? What took you so long? We were fighting in the heavenlies. I had to break through to get my message to you. Is that just a nothing story to you? Is that just... Uh, it's history. Laban and Esau. Camels and talking donkeys. Adam, Eve, the serpent. Is all that just a story? Or is there more? The rabbis and sages are absolutely convinced that there's more entire depth of wisdom. Now, I'm going to say something a little controversial here, which is no shock for the show. And your, what you're going to find, if you truly seek, truly seek for the soul of the Scriptures, will be different from what I find. Because my needs are not your needs. What I need to get out of this is not what you need to get out of it. You have a path. You have a, a direction that God's put you on. And he's put this powerful source, this powerful source in front of us. But people don't plug into it. I'm astonished when I tell my students, we study the New Testament Gospels, and I'll say, all right, next week I want you guys to tell me what you found out about the naked man, what book he was in, and where he was at. Some will come back, and next week they still haven't found him. Many believe I'm making that up. We cannot grow in our faith unless we're willing to stop looking at the Scriptures, stop looking at the Gospels, stop looking at the writings as just a static historical record of something that happened that we're somehow supposed to figure a way to get plugged into. My name is David Fournier, one of the instructors here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining me on Zohar in 15. See you next week. Mm-hmm.